What does it mean to be free? I think if Jesus Christ came to America right now in 2015, he would tell us, you guys obviously treasure your freedom. But the tragedy is that most of you aren't truly free. Most of you, he would say to Americans, are are slaves to sin. Most of you are slaves to Satan, and you do whatever your masters tell you to do. And that's what you call freedom. And upon hearing this, most people would say to Jesus, you are crazy. What What are you talking about? This is the land of the free. This is the home of the brave. We do what we want, whenever we want. We're not slaves to nobody, right? The reason I think this is what Jesus would say to Americans, and the reason I think this is what Americans would say to Jesus is because this is exactly what Jesus told a a crowd 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, and this is exactly what that crowd said back to Jesus. I think... If Jesus came to you, think about this. If if he said, Bill, Mary, John, I love you so much. And that's why I want you to experience true freedom in your life. You are settling for a fraudulent imitation of freedom in your life. And it's going to destroy you. And it's going to leave you miserable. But I have a freedom that I want to give you that will free you beyond your wildest dreams. If Jesus told you that, wouldn't you want some of that? (laughs) Wouldn't you want that freedom? I know I would. Would you believe that he really could give you that kind of freedom? Let's open up the Bible and read about this true freedom that Jesus talks about. If you've got your your Bible with you, open to John chapter 8. Verses 31 to 36. If you don't own a Bible, we would love to give you one. Just let us know after the service. Um, We treasure God's word here and we want you to have a copy of it. And as you're turning to John 8, let me set up the stage here, the context of what's going on in this passage. There was a massive festival that took place every year in Jerusalem called the Feast of Booths. And tens of thousands of Jews would travel from all over Palestine to Jerusalem in order to celebrate this eight-day festival. And near the end of the festival, Jesus stands up in public and he preaches to the crowd, this massive crowd, and to its religious leaders. And Jesus tells them that he is the one true God. And that he left heaven and came to earth. And whoever follows him will never live in darkness because he is the light of the world. But he says whoever doesn't follow him walks in darkness already and will live in darkness for all eternity. And after Jesus said this, a number of people Uh, put their faith in him. They claimed to believe in him, but uh, it's very quickly revealed that many of those professions were, were false confessions. And that brings us to this passage today. Before we read God's word, let's ask him to help us with it, okay? Dear Lord Jesus, uh, we, uh, we confess to you that you are great 
and you are glorious and you are the light of the world. Please forgive us for the lack of faith in you that we have, for the lack of faith we've demonstrated in your word. And please give us greater faith. Please give us greater faith in you and in your word so that we can experience true freedom in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for coming to earth and dying on the cross for us to forgive us of our many sins and to to forgive us of our feeble faith. We celebrate that you rose rose from the grave, that you're alive, that you're reigning over all things right now in heaven. And we celebrate, God, that our assurance of eternal life isn't grounded on us and our ability to please you, but it's, it's grounded only on the perfect life and finished work of Jesus Christ. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would move in this place in a powerful way. Please move in our hearts. Please use your word to correct us, to rebuke us, to teach us, to encourage us. Please use your word to save those who are not saved and and to encourage those who have been saved. We dedicate this time to you and we ask for your help now. In Jesus' name, amen. John 8, 31 to 36. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We're offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free you will be free indeed. In verse 31 there, Jesus talks directly to these people in the crowd who have just expressed their faith in him. And he tells them, for the rest of your existence, the way that you can know that you are truly my disciples is if you abide in my word. My word is truth. And if you abide in my word, then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. So you can be sure that you belong to Jesus if you are abiding in his word. Let's take a few minutes to unpack what that means so that we can can try to understand everything Jesus is saying here. First, in order to abide in Jesus' word, then we need to know what his word is that he's talking about. So notice that he doesn't say, abide in my words. He says, abide in my word. Jesus' word, his teaching, his message, it's, it's bigger than just the words or the sentences that he spoke on earth, some of which we have uh, re- recorded in the Bible. Jesus' word includes all of the content that he has revealed through words. 
And his word is also the overall message that he communicates. Okay? So Jesus' word includes the red letters in your Bible, right? Which are the quotes that he spoke on earth. But it also equally includes every other word in the Bible because God tells us that all of the Bible, all of Scripture is God-breathed. All of Scripture is authored by Jesus, okay? So the, the reason that's important is because there have been movements recently um, among self-proclaimed Christians to only pay attention to the words in the Bible that are read, meaning only pay attention to Jesus's quotes, and you can disregard the rest. But that approach is, is completely unbiblical uh, because it goes against the truth of Scripture and what Scripture testifies about itself. It goes against the practice of Orthodox Christianity and what the first earliest Christians practiced. Uh, it goes against the teaching of Jesus and the practice of Jesus. Jesus believed that God's Word was perfect and that it was His Word. And so Jesus' Word includes all of the content that He has revealed in Scripture and the core message that that word communicates is called the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus. And the gospel is this message that's interwoven throughout the Bible from the first page to the last. And it communicates that humanity is rebellious and pitiful and lost and doomed without a friendship with God. Okay? And since we are too lost, too weak to save ourselves from this condition, then our only hope is that God would be merciful and that in his perfection and in his power, he would reach out to us and offer us a friendship with himself. And the gospel message says that that's exactly what God does. God sends himself to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life so that he might be a perfect sacrifice who suffers the punishment and guilt for our sin, this very sin that has separated us from our God. And on the cross, Jesus took our sin. It says he bore our sin. He, he became our sin, and then he killed it. And the way that he killed our sin was by being killed. So arson was killed when Jesus was killed. But that wasn't the end of the story. Jesus rose again three days later, just like he said he would. And he hung out for 40 days and he let people see him and touch him and talk to him. And he ascended into heaven where he now reigns at the right hand of God the Father. And he says that whoever puts their faith in him. Whoever abides in the power of this message will never be condemned, but will live forever. This is the core message of Jesus' word. This is the message of what God has done to guide the world to himself, to rescue the world for the sake of his name and for the sake of the glory of all peoples. It's the best news ever, you guys, okay? This is, the, you need to know that. This is the best news you will ever hear now and forever. And it's true. 
This is the word that Jesus' true disciples abide in. Okay. So, so what does it then mean to abide in Jesus' word? Well, to abide means to remain in, to hold to, and to persevere in something. Okay? It, to, to abide in Jesus' word means to remain in this gospel, to hold to this gospel, and to persevere in this gospel. It means that Jesus' word, his teaching, his gospel is the core conviction of your soul. It means that this gospel, this good news, is all that you have for hope in this life. That you're not, you can't bank hope on anything else. It's not in you. It's not in this world. It's only in Jesus. And you can do nothing to add to it or to take away from it. Now, ab abiding in Jesus doesn't mean that in this life, the Christian will have perfect faith and that his or her faith will never be shaken. What it does mean, though, is that nothing will ever be able to successfully shake the gospel from the Christian. Okay. The Christian may have doubts. He or she may stray from God for a time, but that doubt, that strain, will not last forever. The true disciple of Jesus will eventually acknowledge that this strain from God, this, this doubting of God, it has been wrong because God is true to his word. The true Christian will, by the power of the Holy Spirit, see that as sin, confess that, turn away from that, and rejoice that Jesus always forgives them and offers them complete purification from sin. If you're here today, this might be you. Maybe you can think back to the past five, you look at your spiritual journey the past five years, past 10 years, whatever, and you look back and say, man, I wish I was where I used to be. I wish that I still had that fire for Jesus that I used to have. Maybe, maybe you know that you've just been in a season of spiritual rebellion against God and, and against his word. And if that's the case, then I want you to hear what Jesus says today. He says, turn away from that and turn back to him. Abide in him. Don't abide in the world. Don't abide in yourself. Abide in Jesus. Tell him today that you want to abide in him. Get right with your Lord today. Confess your sin. Tell him that you want to abide in him tomorrow and the rest of your life. And, and maybe you're here, somebody, maybe this is like the first time you've ever really heard this message. It's like, wow, I need a savior because I, I'm, my life isn't looking good the way that I'm doing it on my own. And what if my life is looking good, but what if I'm really lost? What if I'm really a slave when I actually thought I was free? Man, if you want to abide in Jesus, tell him today. Don't delay. Talk to your maker today, right now. Tell him you want to abide in him forever. See, until the day they die, Jesus' disciples hold on to Jesus' word 
and persevere in his word. And Jesus says that by doing this, by abiding in his word, his disciples know the truth and there's a result from knowing the truth. It sets them free. Okay. Free from what? Well, that's what the Jews are wondering in verse 33. And, and so they answered Jesus, we're offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Now, that, that statement is a little bit funny if you know Old Testament, because if, if you've ever read the Old Testament, you know that the Jews had been enslaved to lots of nations um, throughout the centuries. They'd been enslaved to the Egyptians and to the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and, and even while they were talking, they were occupied by the Roman Empire. And so when the crowd says here that they've never been enslaved to anyone, it appears that they finally understand that Jesus isn't talking about physical slavery or national slavery, but he's talking about a deeper reality, about spiritual slavery. And this is the thing, even though they understand that, even though they hear Jesus saying, you need to be free, the response to Jesus is, we don't need you to free us. We are spiritually free. We always have been free. And the grounds that they use to claim this, the spiritual freedom that they claim to have, is we are the offspring of Abraham. So in other words, we're related to Abraham. He, don't you know who he is? He's the founder of Judaism. So they, they arrogantly claim that we've never been slaves to anyone spiritually. We don't need freedom. We're already spiritually free. And I think this is the exact same attitude of most Americans today and probably most human beings around the world. We don't need spiritual freedom. We've already got it. In fact, we don't really believe that anything is true. I mean, if you want something to be true for you, then great, that's true for you. But, and if I want something to be true for me, then that's true for me. And, and if we all believe our own truths, then that must mean we are all spiritually free. Because that's nonsense. The, the notion that all man-made ideas are really true is foolishness. The, the notion that your soul is safe because you're part of a larger religion or part of a people group or your parents are Christians or your spouse is Christians. It's foolishness. The idea that all truth claims are true is a lie. And yet our willful submission to this system of lies reveals that our bodies, our souls, our very lives may actually be in terrible danger, even when we think we got it all figured out. But Jesus tells us the truth. He tells us the reality of our condition, okay? What's, what's really happening, God, in the invisible world? What's, what's really happening? In verse 34, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So this isn't a run-of-the-mill statement that Jesus makes. And we know that because he says the word truly at the start. 
And he doesn't just say it once, he says it twice. So he's saying, listen up and look me in the eyes. Because I'm about to tell you something that if you believe it, will change the way that you look at all of reality. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to that sin. Sin is rebelling against our maker, rebelling against God, the one to whom we are ultimately accountable for our lives. Sin is doing what God says is bad for you, and sin is not doing what God says is good for you. Sin is rejecting Jesus' word instead of abiding in Jesus' word. And Jesus says, listen to me closely, because he loves us. He says, listen to me closely. There's a spiritual reality going on, and I want you to see it. Everyone who practices sin is a slave spiritually to sin. So we've got to answer a couple questions then, important questions at this point. First, if every, who is this everyone who practices sin? Who, who does this? Who practices sin? Well, the Bible's really clear on this. Probably the most famous passage that we think of is Romans 3.23, where it says, For all have sinned, and all fall short of the glory of God. Okay? All have sinned. Everyone has sinned. Everyone practices sin. Everyone has fallen short of God's glory. And so if everybody, all of us, have practiced sin, what does that mean about us? Everyone is a slave to sin. All of us in our natural state are slaves. We're slaves to sin, even though we think we're free. So what exactly does Jesus mean when he says that, what, that, that we're slaves to sin? What does that mean? Well, when you think of a slave, what do you think of? Is a slave free? No, a, f- a slave isn't free. A slave is owned by a master. Does a slave come and go as he pleases? No. Slave goes wherever his master tells him to go. Slave does whatever the master tells him to do. Can a slave free himself? Well, in the physical world, yes. Sometimes a slave can escape his or her master and run away to freedom. It's not how it works in the spiritual world, though. You can't just run away from your sin. Jesus says you're chained to it. And in fact, it's your master. Okay, you can't positive think your way out of this one. This is a real problem for you spiritually. Your chains are real. And he wants you to know this, that this is your biggest problem. Okay? This is your slavery to sin is your biggest problem. Your biggest problem is not your spouse. It's not your job situation. It's not your grades. It's not your girlfriend or boyfriend. Your biggest problem isn't your friends or your enemies. Your biggest problem isn't your bank account or your reputation. Your biggest problem is that in your flesh, you are a slave to sin. And all of the word of Jesus says this over and over again. Romans 8, 16 says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, 
that you are slaves of the one whom you obey? 2 Peter 2.19 says, whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. John Piper writes, sin enslaves by making anything look more desirable than Jesus. That's what sin is. Desiring something above Jesus and then acting on it. And the second way that sin enslaves is that it eventually damns us to hell. And so, so being a slave to sin has two different parts. It, sin dominates you in this life and sin damns you after this life. Sin dominates us in this life because it's our, it's our master who we obey in our flesh. Why do we gossip? Because we're dominated by sin. Why, why do we idolize sex and pornography? Because we're dominated by sin. Why, why do we hate other people in our hearts? Because we are dominated by sin. Our sin makes sin look more desirable than Jesus. We would rather gossip. We would rather have illicit sex. We would rather hate people in our hearts than to worship Jesus. That's the truth. And we can't free ourselves from sin's dominion over us. And then more great news. After this, sin damns us. After we have pursued sin in all of its various forms, I just got to do this. I just want to do this. I just want to do this experience. I just, I, I got to hate on these people more. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. After we pursue sin in all of our life, what it does is it goes with us. You can't get rid of it. It goes with you to the grave and it stands there to condemn you to hell, to live with Satan forever. You guys, that is horrific if you believe that Jesus is, if, if that this is true, if you really believe in hell, that is horrific to even think about being separated from God and being in hell. And that's why Jesus warns us about it in the next verse. In John 8, 35, he says, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. See, you can come to God's house and still be a slave to sin. You don't have to be a true Christian on earth to come into God's house to interact with God's people. But Jesus wants you to know this. The slave will not stay in God's house forever. Okay? The person who remains in God's house forever is God's son. So in order to enjoy God forever in his house and, and uh, with his church, you can't stay a, a slave to sin. You cannot remain a slave. There must be a status change. You must be, it says, the son of God. So who is the son of God? Jesus. So if Jesus is the only one who remains in his father's house forever, then you and I must become united to the son. We must be united with the son of Jesus. And that is exactly what Jesus does for everybody who trusts in him and in the perfect finished work that he accomplished in his life and death and resurrection. 
See, in order to be freed from sin, who does the freeing? The passage says, you must be freed by the Son, Jesus, so that he might unite you to himself. You guys, this is true freedom. This is the true freedom that Jesus offers to you and me when he says in verse 36, so if the Son sets you free, then you will be free indeed. Who has to do it? Who has to set you free in order to be truly free? The Son, Jesus. He's the only one who can do it, you guys. He's the only one who can cut off your chains, who can, who can cut off your chains of slavery to sin because he's the only one who on the cross as God killed our sin and killed power of sin by being killed for us. Who else has done it? Nobody but Jesus. And the death of your sin and the death of sin's power in your life can only be applied to your soul through faith in Jesus, through surrendering to Jesus. This is what it means to be truly free, to be free indeed, to have God's son, Jesus, make you a son or daughter of God so that you can live in his house and enjoy God forever. And Jesus wants to do this for you and for me because he is merciful, because he does love us, and because he is the only one who can do it. Jesus' offer of salvation isn't just this empty promise. Oh man, I wish that were true. How could we know it's true? This is history, you guys. It's something Jesus came to earth and accomplished already. He's already proven his faithfulness to us. And now what he tells us is to trust him, to abide in him, to keep on persevering, to keep on trusting in his word. And through this, we will become truly free. Psalm 118.5 says, Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. Have you called on the Lord? The Lord answered me and set me free. If you're too prideful to call on the Lord, I don't know what to tell you. I pray that God would humble you enough to call on the Lord. Acts 13, 38 to 39. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Romans 6, 5 to 6. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Romans 6.14, for sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law anymore. You're under grace. Amen? Romans 8, 2, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Get this one, Galatians 4, 4 to 6. 
But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you're sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, you can call God your dad now because of Jesus. If God's son Jesus sets you free, then you are truly free. You're free from the wrath of God. You are free from the guilt and shame of past sins. You are free from the fear of death because Jesus has conquered death for you. You are free from the fear of people. We don't live to impress people. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I live to please God. You're free from the fear of future tragedies. You're free from the power of the dominion of sin over you. Satan is not your master. You're free from hell. You're free from the overwhelming power of your flesh. You're free from condemnation. You're free from sins that you never thought you could shake. You're free from unshakable bitterness, from unshakable hatred, from unshakable grief, from purposelessness, from this haunting sense of purposelessness. You're free from hopelessness because of Jesus. If Jesus has set you free, then you're truly free. In the last part of the sermon, I want to talk about what this freedom of Jesus looks like in our lives. When God saves us, when we put our trust in Jesus for the first time, there is a real spiritual freedom that Jesus gives to us. Immediately when God saves us, a number of things happen. Happens. He he makes us what we call born again. The fancy word is regeneration, but it means he recreates you. Your old self is dead. Your new self is alive. As he does that, he breaks our spiritual chains to sin and Satan. And at the same time, he simultaneously unites us to himself. He hides us in himself and legally declares us justified or not guilty in the sight of God for all of our past, present, and future sins. And also, at the same time, he legally adopts us spiritually through God's son Jesus so that we're now the sons and daughters of God. All of that happens at one moment, the moment that God saves you as you trust in the gospel. So now as you turn away from sin and as you turn to Jesus, you can be totally confident that God has set you free from eternal condemnation. However, you need to know this too, that you won't experience the all-encompassing bliss of that freedom until God takes you home to be with him. You're going to get glimpses and tastes of it, though. And the more that you abide in the word, the more freedom you're going to experience. So while we are still in the body, even though we've been set free eternally, we still battle many of the habits and temptations and sins that, that we used to embrace when we were slaves to sin. But God doesn't abandon us. His, his plan for us is to pour out more and more grace onto us every day 
during our earthly lives as we continue to persevere in him and as we experience more of the freedom that we will fully enjoy in eternity. So if you find that you're struggling with temptations and feelings and habits that uh, used to enslave you when you were not a Christian, the first thing I would say is praise God that you see those feelings and sinful habits as sin now. That means God's working in you. Praise God that you don't want those things in your life anymore. (laughs) And the message of Jesus, he says here is, Keep on abiding in me. Keep on abiding in my word. Don't beat yourself up and put yourself in the gutter every time you sin. Instead, you now have power through the Holy Spirit. You have real power through God's word to see your sin, to confess it to God, to turn away from your sin, to be forgiven from God, and to chase after Jesus all the more confidently because you know your salvation doesn't rest on you, but what on, on what Jesus already did for you. If it rested on you, boy, I don't know what to tell you. Walk around the church the rest of the day and just pray all day and freak yourself out. And then at the end of the day, feel like hopeless, okay? That's just the reality. That's the reality of the human condition. We can't earn peace with God through works. It's never enough. But thank God he's reached out to us because he's merciful and he loves us. In this fight against sin, remember how God has already proven his faithfulness to you time and time again. That's so much of what the Bible is, remembering. Guys, remember what God did. Remember how he did this. Remember how he did this. In his fight against sin, God says in Ephesians 6, don't go into battle unarmed. That's foolish. Put your battle armor on. Put on the belt of truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Put on the shoes of readiness given by the gospel of peace. Put on your shield of faith so that you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Put on the helmet of salvation. You better have that sword of the Spirit in your hand because it is the Word of God. And it is the sword. It is your offensive weapon. And pray at all times in Jesus who lives in you and who loves you. Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You hear that? You don't just say, oh, I'm just a a weakling, and now I'm just going to let sin be my master again. He says, stand firm. Fight against sin in your life in all of its various forms with the power of God in you and with the promises available to you in his word. Do not allow sin to enslave you again. Let me tell you about three Christians that I've interacted with in the past week and how God has freed them not only from eternal slavery, but also from the power of sin in their earthly lives. I spoke with one person this week who used to be so obsessed with his job and with money and with keeping up with the Joneses 
that it took up his whole life. It took over his whole life. His accomplishments, his financial success, his people pleasing had, had become his God. But by the power of the Holy Spirit's work in his life, God showed him how empty all of that stuff really was. And he started asking, how can I use my gifts and my free time and my money to do God's will? How can I grow the kingdom of God with my church family? How can I model for my wife and kids that making sacrifices for Jesus is far more rewarding than living for my own glory? That's a work of God in this guy's life. That stuff does not come naturally if you are a slave to sin. Sin doesn't tell you that. Jesus tells you that. I spoke with another person who used to be a very bitter person, was really a bully, a person who was very sarcastic, very hurtful with her words. And when she truly began to abide in Jesus' word, Jesus began to change her. (laughs) Those patterns of anger and hurtful words began to disappear. And, And she began to experience the joy and freedom of Jesus in her life. And she's growing in freedom because Jesus is helping her know what it means to truly be free. I spoke with another person who, who, whose loved one was going through terrible physical suffering. And he was so angry at God for the longest time, couldn't worship God, couldn't believe that God was good since he'd allowed something so terrible to happen to somebody close to him. But he said that this... The Holy Spirit who set him free eternally kept working on him. And it's the same Holy Spirit who empowered him to eventually let go of some of this anger and to begin to trust God again. And by God's grace in his life, he now believes that God is good with a much deeper conviction about what that means, even though his loved one is still suffering. God's helping him every day to abide in Jesus' word. These are real people. There's a real spirit of Jesus who's at work among us and in us. So as we do life together, as we encourage one another to persevere in Christ, to abide in Christ, may the Lord help us to experience here on earth in our lives the same freedom that he's already given to us in eternity. Revelations 1.5 says, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by the blood, by his blood, to him who has made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. I want to be in the dominion of Jesus, not of sin. I want to be owned by Jesus, not Satan. May Jesus free you and truly set you free. Let me pray us, pray for us. Dear Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this offer of freedom, God, that is bigger than we can comprehend, that's bigger than our, our human fleshly ideas of what it means to be free, Thank you, God, that you are bigger than this world. There's 
this whole invisible spiritual realm that is actually a bigger problem for us because that is what we have to interact with for 99% of eternity. Jesus, thank you for loving us, for coming to free us, to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Thank you that we can have life and forgiveness and hope in you, Jesus. Thank you that you will never leave us or forsake us, but that your mercies are new every day and that you have future grace waiting for us at those times in the future that we worry about, that you haven't even poured out your grace yet for us because you're going to free us at that point. Until that time, may we abide in you, Jesus, now and forever, and may that overflow out of our lives in the way that we talk to one another and think about one another and act toward one another, and especially in the way that we worship you with our lives. Praise you, Jesus. Amen.